encouragement to you. This morning, our order of worship is a little bit different because we want to draw emphasis to a very important topic this morning. And in so doing, there are going to be many people in just a few moments involved in an illustration. And for them to to be here for both services, it worked out much more convenient to do it at the beginning of both services. In 1857, the American Medical Association, they made a, a recommendation that became law that all abortions should become illegal unless it involved the potential threatening of the life of the mother. And even upon that, there had to be several doctors to consent that that would be the decision. But yesterday marked the 38th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. In 1973, nine men dressed in long black robes serving on the United States uh, Supreme Court, they made a ruling by majority vote that that infant in its mother's womb no longer has any rights. Literally, no longer has the right to be protected. For those who value life at all stages, what we discuss today is almost unthinkable. What we discuss today, we would like to say that we don't need to discuss it. It's not a pleasure to think about this important topic. It is very emotional. It's one that many carry regrets as they also think of this. So very much so today, we want to bring emphasis to the reality of what is at hand. We don't want to over-emotionalize it. We don't want uh, to, to bring... Uh, any undue false guilt back in the lives of, of anyone. But at the same time, we want to be aware of what is happening today in our neighborhoods and then ask, is it right? And what can we do in the future to make this better? There was a young man that was being prepped to be a king. His mother was one of the ones who prepped him. In Proverbs, the 31st chapter, it would be King Lemuel. And Lemuel is told by his mother, What, my son? What, the son of my womb? What, the son of my vows? And then she gives him instruction to not give his life over to alcohol, to immorality. She's telling him things that would preserve the well-being of a king. But then in verse 8 and 9... She says the words that ought to ring in our ears as we think about this important topic. She tells this young prince that will be a king one day, Open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. There is an atrocity. It outnumbers all the casualties of war of any American that has ever died. It is an atrocity that if we're looking at simply numbers, it makes the Holocaust look small. It's what's happened since 1973, and perhaps to add to the shame, it's the shame that the ones who inflict are the recipients of this harm absolutely do not have a voice. Unless we listen to God's word 
And we become the voice for the speechless. Unless we plead the cause for these needy ones, they are too young and too weak to do it on their own. And so today, we seek to plead their cause. Many of us have probably been to the Vietnam Memorial Wall. It is an amazing and sombering occasion. If, in fact, you have visited there, you know that. This wall has over 58,000 names on it. At the tallest part of the wall, it's over 10 feet tall. It's 493 and one-half feet long. If we were to take the names of and give names to all of the babies that have been aborted since 1973 and place them and configure them on the wall just as the slain or missing in action soldiers or names are placed on this wall. Instead of being 493 feet long, this wall would be nearly 60 miles long. Also, to better illustrate that, in just a moment, you're going to see a rose placed on this podium. And the rose will be placed on the podium first by someone who was born in 1973. And you'll see on the screens the number of estimated abortions that year. Then you'll see someone place a rose on that podium that was born in 74 and the number of abortions. And I hope that this illustrates to all of us perhaps an illustration that we will never forget and that we will realize the magnitude of the problem that surrounds us and refuse from today forward to ever be speechless about this important, important subject. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind,
52 million babies are represented in that illustration. 46 million babies are aborted each year worldwide. In America, it's about one every 30 seconds, and that's not office hours. That's 24 hours a day, 365 days out of the year. 43% of women will have at least one abortion by the time they're 45 years of age. Around 40% of those women will return for a second abortion also. Except for biopsies, abortion is the most common surgical procedure performed 
in the U.S. today. One in three, and some statistics say one in four children will die by abortion. Next time you go to a high school graduation, you just imagine that between every third person, there should be another person there. But they were aborted. The most dangerous place by far for a baby to be in America is inside its mother's womb. And that leads us to the question, is it wrong? How is it that so many in America and throughout the world argue that there is nothing wrong with it? Truth is, it doesn't really matter what we think. What matters is what God says. And so today, let's answer this question, is it wrong? You see, Planned Parenthood and other organizations that are in business to sell abortions, they have terminology that they use in order to accomplish their mission. They never refer to the pregnancy as a human being, of course. They never refer to it as a child. Instead, they're trained to refer to it as pregnancy tissue. Isn't it interesting that out of all of the taboos that Hollywood has embraced, still abortion is so ugly that they never picture it. They never, they never exalt it, even though it's very much supported by so many. That ought to be a warning signal to us. Recently, MTV, not advocating that by any stretch of the imagination, but in one of their reality programs, they did decide to follow a couple, a young couple, through the abortion process. And interesting enough, just as the counselors had been trained to do, they told the young woman about the pregnancy tissue that would be destroyed. They told her about the little ball of cells that would no longer exist in her body. And there on this reality show, she looks over at her baby that is a couple of years old. And then with tears, she says, they told me not to humanize this decision because it would depress me. But isn't it interesting that this little ball of tissue and cells will one day end up like her? Abby Johnson is a woman who volunteered for Planned Parenthood throughout college. She went to work for them and worked her way up to a director. She knew all of the training. She knew that you lied to the mothers. Frequent questions that they ask, could I hear a heartbeat? No, no, your fetus has no heartbeat. Could I know the sex before I abort it? No, your fetus has no sex. It's neither male nor female. Will the fetus feel any pain? No, no. Those are all the lies that they're all trained to tell. She had a break of her conscience when one day one of the doctors asked her, and I promise you I'm not going to get gross on you. I'm intentionally avoiding that, but I want you to hear this point. 
One of the doctors was running behind and asked her, said, can you come in and hold this ultrasound while I do this ultrasounded, ultrasound-guided abortion? Now, obviously, they would never let the mother see this because it would look too much like a baby in the womb. And so Abby was there holding the ultrasound, and she said it was like watching a train wreck that you could not take your eyes off, but you knew it was destruction in the makings. And when she saw the baby wince and move away from the probe, that was the factor that when she left work that day, she said, I'll never work for an abortion clinic again. And now she goes around the country speaking. And she answers now those questions that women long to know before the abortion. Yes, your baby has a heartbeat. Yes, your baby will be reassembled and the sex will be determined. Yes, your baby, your baby feels the pain. What does the Bible say? Genesis, the fifth chapter and verse three, when it speaks of Adam living 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image, he named him Seth. That word begot there in the Hebrew is the word for producing offspring. Now, what part does a man have in the birthing process? Obviously, the man has only the part at conception. God says Adam had a son at conception. Ecclesiastes 11.5 speaks of this bones growing in the womb and refers to those bones as a child. Psalm 139 verse 13 and 14 speaks of this, the Lord making us in our inward parts and then says, and covered you in your mother's womb. And the word there for covered literally means protection. The womb is supposed to be a safe place for a baby to develop. In Psalms 127 and 3, we're told that children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. The idea of reward there is payment for contract. In other words, God is giving us a beautiful gift and it's our responsibility in this contract to protect and guard what God has given. In Genesis, the ninth chapter, the flood is over and man is told that he can kill and eat animals. But he's told he cannot kill his own lifeblood. And he says in verse 6, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Now in Exodus the 21st chapter, in verse 22, we see some civil laws being given. And whenever men are fighting and a pregnant woman is injured, if her baby survives that injury... He is punished and the judge will determine that punishment along with with the father of that baby. But if in the the, uh, violence, the baby is killed, then the punishment is as with any other human being. Under the Old Testament, it was life for life. You see, when we look through in Genesis 9 and these other passages we find out that God distinguishes between the values of lives. In other words, animals are not worth nearly the same as what humans are worth. And we find out that he places the same value on the life that's in the womb. In the Old Testament, it was the death of the man that took the life of the baby. Our worth is found because we are made after the image of God. Humans are blessed by God through childbirth. It is not a punishment, as one of our past presidents has said. In Luke, the first chapter, when we see 
Elizabeth being given a child in the womb. Notice God calls that child a babe, speaking to an infant. In Job, the third chapter is probably the most revealing passage in all the Bible on this topic because it speaks of an abortion. Now, let me clarify that for you if you look and say, no, it's speaking of a miscarriage. If you look at the Hebrew word, it's abortion. Because you see, we have used the word abortion so oftentimes in an incorrect way. If we're going to be fair to the term, we should always use voluntary abortion. Abortion simply means the life ends that's in the womb. There are involuntary abortions. We call those miscarriages. And there are voluntary abortions. And, and that's an abortion. And, and by today's terms. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this. And Job 3 and 16 are like a miscarriage. In other words, there's been an abortion which is discarded. He says, I would not be as infants that never saw light. God writes and speaks of a life ending in the womb. And then in the very same verse, he calls that life that's ended in the womb an infant. Is it a fetus? Or is it an infant? God clarifies it time and time again. We ask the question, is it wrong? Yes, because God gives rights to the unborn. I want you to let that sink in. We live in a country that says the unborn has no rights. God gives the rights to the unborn as to any of us that we are all human beings. God calls the being a child, not a fetus. Adoption is beautiful. Shedding the blood of, of innocent blood is not. God never puts on us more than what we can stand. I encourage all of us to find a way to help an organization that encourages, supports, and serves women who feel like that they cannot take care of the baby that they are about to have. Of all people in the U.S., Christians ought to be the ones that are promoting adoption and supporting it as much as anyone. Abortion is such an atrocity that neither side wants to view the reality in person or in pictures. And there's always something wrong when we don't want to see the truth. In Romans, we have a powerful verse. He tells us in the third chapter, in verse 23, that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. In the following verses, he gives us hope. God tells us that He can justify us. He can redeem us. And He can serve as our propitiation. But all of that is through Jesus. And in that same text, twice, He refers to God's righteousness. Today, will you please get this simple fact? God has a standard of righteousness. Individuals, congregations... Families and communities and nations are blessed when we allow God to define what is right. But also, as God gives this definition of righteousness, He also gave His Son 
for graciousness. There's nobody here this morning perfect. We all have things in our life that if we are honest with ourselves and with God, we wish that we had never done. God calls that sin. We rank sin. Because on earth, some sins have greater consequences than other sins. But in God's eyes, sin is sin. And this morning, I hope that everybody here knows that in the midst of the pain, that there's forgiveness, there's grace, and there is healing. Because of Jesus Christ. Many of us here, we have gathered around this table and we have partaken of the Lord's Supper for many, many Sundays. Some of us could say, for almost all of our life, we've either seen this done or been partaking of it since we've become a Christian. In just a moment, we're about to partake of these emblems of the body and of the blood of Jesus. And let us all take it in a way to be reminded of that great gift that the Father gave of His Son so that we might live. In 1 Corinthians 11 and 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In this same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Thank God for Jesus, for his body, his life, for his blood, and the redemption that is purchased. We'll ask the men to come forward now.